Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today, somewhere in the three to five year area, and the high quality bonds are attractive. You can find opportunities there, I guess is the, be- is the best way of putting it. Not everything in there is attractive, but a lot is. This week on Wealth Track, storied bond fund, FBA new income reopens to new investors. Tom Atterbury explains why. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. As everyone knows, the bond world changed dramatically in 2022. From several years of historically low to negative interest rates, as far as the eye could see, the horizon is now filling with rising rates across the globe. It is a welcome change for yield-starved investors and fixed-income managers who have been coping with a record-breaking yield drought. One of them is today's guest, who recently reopened his fund to new investors because of the improved opportunity set. He is Tom Atterbury, now senior advisor to FBA New Income Fund, having just retired as planned from his portfolio manager duties in July of this year. He's been portfolio manager of the fund since 2004. Tom and his former co-manager, legendary bond manager Bob Rodriguez, were named Morningstar Fixed Income Managers of the Year in 2008. Atterbury's chosen successor, Abhi Padwarden, became co-manager in 2015 and took over as sole manager of the fund this year. Now one of the largest actively managed short-term income funds with around $10 billion under management, New Income is the only fund in its short-term bond fund category to deliver positive returns for a 35-plus year stretch through a variety of market conditions. FBA New Income carries a Morningstar Bronze Analyst Rating for providing a haven from losses and bond market excesses. FBA New Income had close to new investors in 2020, saying it was in the best interest of existing shareholders and the investment opportunity set at that time. I asked Atterbury why they decided to reopen the fund now. What has changed? When we closed the the new income fund in the summer of 2020, we talked to our clients about the fact that, that, that the availability of opportunities were just very, very limited. And when we look at closing and opening our fund, it's all predicated on what's best for our existing shareholders. And that lack of opportunities in, in the summer of 2020 said, okay, it's in the best interest of our shareholders today to close the fund to new investors. This is important to you. Uh, why was it in the best interest of, of existing shareholders to close the fund in, at that particular time in 2020? Because when you looked at the opportunity set of investments that you could make, it was difficult to find many that could accomplish the investment objectives we have, which is a positive return on a 12-month period and 
trying to get CPI plus 100 basis points over a five-year period. There just weren't many ideas that could, that could accomplish that. So we felt best interest to our existing shareholders to not just make matters worse in, in, in a way, but to protect their, their capital as best we could. What has changed that now makes the investment opportunity set attractive? Just as a quick sort of reference point, at that time of the summer of 2020, you had a two-year treasury that yielded, I don't know, 15, 20 basis points, something in, that, something in that range. Not very much, right? And you look at today, that same two-year treasury is three plus percentage in its, in its yield. Um, most of that change has occurred in the last six months of, of you know, a year-to-date sort, of, sort right. of time frame. So from that as a base, you start to look at that and go, okay, with this level of higher yields, and then look at the opportunity set of bonds that have the potential to meet the two objectives that we've, we've set out for the, for the portfolio, that opportunity set has become larger. It's not huge, but it has become larger. And we go, okay, we now could deploy capital in a fashion that could make those objectives in an easier fashion. So it would make sense for us. It's, it's good for our existing shareholders and therefore open the fund back up to allow new, new individuals and new, new institutions to come in. Talk about the first objective. So you, you want positive returns for a 12-month period. So what are you expecting and, and how are you getting there? How we sort of come about, how do we get there and in, 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 in expecting, we base it off of, we realize in normal times, I'll just use normal, we'll put that in quotation marks, <laughs> that a 100 basis point change or a one percentage point change in the level of interest rates, even whether it's a two-year or a 10-year treasury, is not that abnormal in a 12-month period. I, don't know, I, I think of it as simple, but a, a very basic guideline, a very basic stress test is, okay, if I buy this two-year, three-year, four-year you know, bond today, and a year from now it has a, a yield that's 100 basis points or one percentage point higher than it is today, is my return positive? Is it zero or is it negative? And if it's zero or positive, you go, okay, I am paid for that normal, again, in quotation marks, event to occur. And that's really what drives how much interest rate risk we're gonna take. Because we don't spend time going, oh, I think the two years gonna be fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Six months from now, fill in the blank, because fill in the blank. That's, that's not, how we look, we look very much at individual bonds and go, am I paid for the risk of rising rates in the case of a high quality bond? Am I paid for the risk of not getting paid back in, in, the, in the instance of looking at a credit security? And so we look at each individual security that way and then construct the portfolio. So where are you getting paid now? The, the, the universe you look at is, is pretty much to be within a short-term bond fund category, right. mm -hmm. and the various, whether it's Morningstar or others, typically means that you're gonna have a maturities that probably max out probably somewhere in five, six years, maybe seven. And in today's environment, just looking at treasuries, just for a second, that 100 basis point test that we've talked about, says that today's marketplace, you can get out four, four and a half years in a treasury, and that will pass with a zero return. So we look at what's attractive to us today and we say, oh, okay, today, somewhere in the three to five year area, 
and the high quality bonds are attractive. You can find opportunities there, I guess is the, be is the best way of putting it. Not everything in there is attractive, but a lot is. Now, I looked at the a snapshot of the FPA new income fund mm -hmm. uh, mid-year, you know, June 30th, 2022, um, and looked at, at what, you know, where you were allocated. So asset-backed securities are like, you know, over two-thirds of the portfolio, whereas treasuries, for instance, were around 12 percent. So explain why you are really emphasizing asset-backed securities versus treasuries, and you had even less, um, far less in corporates, in corporate bonds, like like 5 percent. The asset-packed or securitized bonds, you know, that, right. that segment of the market. In this portfolio, if, I, if I, we look back 10 years, it's, it's had a range of 50 to 80 percent, much of its time in this sort of 60 to 80 percent range. And we've never had and we will define this as high quality investment grade corporates, things that are, in our view, high quality, single A and above. So I'm going to use investment grade corporate bonds as single A and above. We can do credit. Okay. The portfolio will enable us to have up to 25% in bonds rated triple B and below. Those to us are credit. Those are where you have to figure out, am I going to get paid my interest and am I going to get paid back uh, my principal? So to why the, the asset-backed and securitized, um, and it's a, you know, versus investment grade, and, and to us it's a fairly simple exercise to go through. Now to give people a context of what's in an asset-backed security, yes. it's made up of loans and leases from households and businesses. It could be farm equipment, it could be automobiles, it could be server farms, it could be commercial insurance premiums, it could be airplanes, apartment buildings, homes. It's a wide variety of assets. And the way they're constructed is, is you, have, you look at it and say, okay, I've got this pool of these loans or leases on these specific types of assets. And then you can look at the, the sort of the bond indenture, and it tells you very specifically your claim on those assets in the event of a default on the bond of which you've purchased. The other thing is, is once those assets, those loans and leases are put into this bond structure, they can't come out. They either default or pay off. Those are the two things, but you can't move them around, take things out, put things in, such as that. They will stay in in perpetuity. So you have a very succinct claim on those assets. You can then look at those loans and leases and do all sorts of analysis. How many are going to default? How many are going to be delinquent? If they default and you have to sell the asset, how much money are you going to get back? You can do all sorts of stress to those get a very specific answer to what's my risk. If I look at an investment grade corporate bond, bond indentures probably, you know, it, it looks like it's a lot of pages, but basically it's a few pages that tell me you basically don't have a direct claim on anything. <laughs> You're an unsecured creditor of a corporation that can do whatever it wants. And in the event of a default, you don't have a direct claim on anything other than what's left over. And that's it. Okay. Those are the two options you have. Well, what we have always found interesting is if we look at that structured product or that asset-backed security, for the same maturity as that investment-grade corporate, we can get a better yield. So wow. I, mean, I have a better yield and a better direct claim on known assets than an investment-grade. Why would I ever buy the investment-grade? Nothing is free. There aren't free lunches in, in, in the capital markets. And you will give up some liquidity. The investment-grade corporate bond in general, during general times, 
is more liquid than the structured product, the asset-backed security. But since we're a long-term investor, and when we buy that bond, our intention is to own it till it matures, you know, I've made this investment, it's a good long-term investment, whether it's three years, four years, five years, and they go, if I'm gonna own it till matures, then, then liquidity or lack thereof is not important to me. So the first mandate is over a 12-month period delivering absolute returns, and for 35 years, the FA New Income Fund has done that. But the second mandate, as inflation is running at 8% now, 40-year highs, and you're telling investors that, that, you know, that your, your goal is to deliver over a five-year period uh, 100 basis points over the CPI. If it were just this year, that would be like 9% uh, return on, yeah. on, on a security. So how are you going to pull that off? <laughs> um, quite frankly, the last 10, 15 years, post the great financial crisis, it's been very difficult to pull that off because Federal Reserve policy, monetary policy, right. has been one of wanting negative real interest rates on treasuries. It's been extremely difficult to, to have accomplished it in the past. And we've, quite frankly, at best, we've been able to do inflation, sometimes inflation plus a little bit. Because this, the headwind of a monetary policy that wants negative real rates makes it extremely difficult. Right. If I think about it today and we look forward today, it says, okay, we have a Federal Reserve that's talking much differently today than they have in the past, which is they're now trying to control inflation. And they're trying to bring it back down to their idea of what's appropriate, 2%. And so they're gonna do whatever measures and means they think are necessary to do that. And one of the things that they've talked about is having a positive real rate of return on risk-free assets. So while it's, you, you are correct, today it's difficult, it's not difficult, it's impossible, let's just be, let's be blunt, to do it on that one-year basis. If we mm -hmm. think out over five years ago, okay, if they're going down that path, then the opportunity for us to accomplish that objective of CPI plus 100 over five years is got the potential to, to be successful. Now, if it's not successful and we get CPI plus 50 basis points over the next five years, yes, we didn't make our stated objective, but if we think about our investors go, okay, we've protected your capital against inflation, we've made a little bit above it, and you've had a slight real return, that's still a positive benefit to our shareholders and investors. So what role do you feel that the FPA New Income Fund plays in an investor's portfolio? We have always defined our role as we're the anchor in someone's overall portfolio. We want to be lower volatility than, than other fixed income in, 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 in equity and risk assets. We've always strived to have that positive return in a 12-month period. We don't want to act like the other things in your portfolio because we're a bond fund. And most people look at short, you know, short, especially short-term bond funds and don't want a lot of negative surprises. They pretty much want that to be the, the safe assets that they have. So we've, we've always looked at ourselves as playing that role within someone's overall portfolio. But given the fact that the, the Fed has been so consistent and adamant about the fact that it's going to fight inflation and the way that it's going to fight inflation is by raising interest rates largely, it sounds like we are in a, a long stretch of, um, of higher interest rates, at least higher short-term interest rates. 
they really only have one lever to pull, and that's short-term interest rates. They don't really have a lot of other levers. That's the one that they've been given. Okay, I'm starting to get paid for all the risks of them being permanently trying to raise rates to slow the economy down and slow down inflation. I'm now getting paid for the risk of them doing that, whereas in the past you were paid nothing for it. So this is actually, on a relative basis to many respects, an easier environment to deal with than trying to deal with the environment to 2020 and 21. Why aren't you investing more in treasuries then? Um, we have at times had uh -huh. more in treasuries than, than we do today, but we've just found that, that looking at other high quality bonds, you know, as we talked about the asset backs, where you're you're lending money into pools of auto loans or construction equipment loans or server farms and all those things, that we look at the, the yields that we're getting and for the risk of not getting repaid, and we right. go, this is a more attractive place than treasuries. You know? so but we, supposedly we, treasuries are the, like the risk-free asset, Tom, where you know, you're, you're not at risk. Well, you're not at risk of them repaying you. Yes. But you are at the risk of them doing some other things. And the other thing that they've tended to do is they've wanted to buy a lot of them. And the Federal Reserve Bank is not a economic buyer. Let's just put it that way. They print some money and buy some treasuries. Let's just be blunt about it. They can call it all the fancy things that they want, but they basically print money and buy treasuries. Right. So you've got to deal with somebody who's going to come into the marketplace and try to manipulate it for their own lack of a better word, benefit, right? Because they're trying to accomplish mm -hmm. some objective. And they're not an economic player and they really don't care that much about you. <laughs> You're not their major concern. Yes, it's risk-free from getting paid back, but there's some manipulation, some ownership things that go on. I think one of the things that it, it's hard to measure, we don't try to measure, but we're aware of the fact that, okay, starting in a month, I think it's somewhere around 95 billion, they're just not going to reinvest. Right. They're going to try to shrink their balance sheet. Well, if they're going to do $95 billion a month and $95 billion don't mature, then they're going to have to sell something. I don't know what they're going to sell. Um, I've, I've heard this quote before. They'll sell it. They don't, by the way, care what price they sell at. They just want to sell it. Oh, interesting. Not, yeah, because they're not in this to make money. Right. So that's going to be pressure in the Treasury market, potentially. 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 Is that pressure in the Treasury market? Well, it could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I've said this before at times. It says, well, if you were as a policy, wanting to use quantitative easing, which is what we've been talking about, in order to lower the risk-free rate or treasury rates, okay, then if you bought them to lower the yield, then the opposite will probably tend to occur when you sell them or stop buying them. You know, and keep in mind, they own roughly a quarter of the market. Some right. instances, they own a little more. You know, maybe it's 30%. Well, that's, you know, one owner of 25 or 30% of anything can impact price. And so they, it's a risk, but it's a risk that's undefinable. You don't know how much that risk is. You just know it exists. So when you were on um, WealthTrack in 2020, uh, you, you, I asked you for the one investment recommendation and, and you said, you know, go buy a house, <laughs> essentially, because <laughs> mortgage rates were so low and that, it, and that you said it's better to be a, a, a borrower than a lender. What is your view now of that particular recommendation. At the time we had that conversation, a 30-year mortgage was going to cost you about 3% a year. Right. And if you looked at history of the appreciation of homes in this country, single-family homes in this country over a long period of time, it was four and a half. 
So the idea was, well, if you could borrow at three and the asset goes up by four and a half percent on average or sort of over a long over that 30 year period of time, hey, you're better off. So be the borrower, don't be the lender. I also commented in there as why you were borrowing that money at 3% in the mortgage market. Don't come to me. We weren't going to lend it to you. Right. <laughs> um, right. So you look at today and it's now become the opposite with what the Fed is doing and with what the Fed thinking about having a real rate that's positive on treasuries. It's now better to be a lender than a borrower. If you think about looking at a three to five year maturity, high quality bond, can get three and three quarters, maybe four and three quarters percent kind of yield. Okay. If I look at the marketplace and look at in general where people think longer term, three to five years out, what inflation might be, it's, oh, they're kind of thinking around 3%. Okay. Well, say it's wrong. Say it's 4%. Well, wait a minute. If I can put money to work three to five years and get some around 4% over the next three to and, and inflation is 4% or less, I, I've got a, a, a real return potential. So it makes more sense to be the, the, the lender than the borrower. I will close with on the housing part. That mortgage rate today is now a lot closer to 6%. Right. Not three. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of doubled. Now, do I think that housing prices, if I think out 30 years, I have no idea what they're going to go, but I kind of know what they did the last 30 or 40 years. And said, so, well, what if they just replaced that, re- repeated that? Well, they'd still get you four, four and a half. Okay, well, I'm going to borrow at six to earn four and a half. Eh? And by the way, it is a house, so it has things like maintenance and taxes and, and other items right. that have to be dealt with, <laughs> as we those who own homes. It's not an attractive opportunity anymore, in our view, to be the borrower. It's more attractive to be the lender. Tom, for the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio in our role as a lender, are there any recommendations that you can give us? And we've talked about this at times in the past, and and as we go back to the structured product side, everything that I had named off, those are critical assets to a household or they're critical assets to a business. Mm -hmm. So if you lend money on a critical asset for a home, a household, or or a business, then the chances of them paying you is quite good. The value of that asset has the opportunity to hold its value. And now you're getting a return that looks like it could be inflation or better. And you have a Federal Reserve that's going to, well, you know, it's working extremely hard to bring the inflation rate down. Whether they make the 2% or not, you know, we don't know. Right. But they should be somewhat successful in not having it be 85 anymore. Um, is that I would focus there on critical assets that the households or businesses have. And so, okay, I'll lend on those critical assets and do it in a fashion where I've got a very solid claim in the event of something goes wrong and I have to sell that asset in order to get paid back. And again, those are asset-backed securities and there are lots of opportunities, but you just have to do your homework to see which are the most secure. The stress tests we will use fundamentally with those, we'll find the worst defaults, the worst delinquencies you know, the worst recoveries, and we'll apply it and said, okay, well, we managed to buy the pool of loans and leases that are the worst, right? And we'll apply that metric to them and go, okay, am I still going to get paid back? Whereas you, in essence, are underwriting that pool of loans and leases to a recessionary environment. You're not saying it's Mm going to happen. You just underwrote it to that to see what happens. 
So if you have a recessionary environment occurs, yeah, the price may move. You get mark-to-market risk, but fundamentally you don't have a repayment risk because you've already done that analysis. So Tom Atterbury, thank you so much for joining us on Wealth Track, longtime portfolio manager of the FPA New Income Fund and now the senior advisor as planned as, for FPA. Yes, as planned. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thank you for having us. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's Action Point picks up on an investment longtime wealth track guest Jason Zweig has been writing about recently in his intelligent investor column in the Wall Street Journal. It is by some U.S. Treasury I-bonds. I-bonds are inflation-protected U.S. savings bonds. They currently yield 9.62%. Their coupon is reset every six months as they adjust for consumer price inflation. So that incredible rate will change, but given the high rate of inflation, chances are good that these bonds will still offer a very attractive interest rate. I-bonds were designed with individual savers in mind. Purchases can be as small as $25 and are capped at $10,000 per account per year. They mature in 30 years. They must be held one year. They can be redeemed with penalties before five years and after five years without penalty. Their interest is exempt from state and local income taxes, and federal taxes are deferred until they are redeemed or when they mature in 30 years. In order to buy them, you have to go online to treasurydirect.gov, which, according to Zwei, can be difficult to navigate. However, as he points out, I-bonds are one of the most attractive investments in existence right now, so they are worth a little trouble. Next week, outspoken Fed critic James Grant excoriated the Fed for trying to boost inflation. What's he saying about their battle to suppress it? In this week's extra feature, Tom Atterbury discusses his plans for life without active money management. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.